Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Welcome to the inaugural Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I am your host, Jake Litarski, joined today by John Littering. If you're out there on Twitter, you can give John a follow at John Littering. That's J O N L I T T E R I N E. No H in there. If you're out there on Twitter, give me a follow at Jakeski52. John, I'm glad to be starting up uh, an official MMA podcast with you finally. How's it, uh, how's it going today? going really good uh looking forward to it this is actually a really really good card that 
you know, with all the big events coming up, specifically UFC 200, um, you know, this card is not getting talked about all that much, and it should be because it's really good. Yeah, right on. Now, I, a couple weeks ago, I actually went ahead and purchased my UFC 200 tickets, so I'm getting really excited to go to that. So it's been easy to look, overlook some of these cards, but the more I've looked at these cards uh, today especially, uh, this is card loaded with a ton of Brazilian talent, of course, taking place in Brazil here this this Saturday. It's UFC 198 here. Well, let's get her started, John, with the heavyweight championship belt. We've got the current champion, Fabricio Verdum, against Stipe Miocic, the challenger here, coming off back-to-back knockouts here. This one, there's a pretty big price discrepancy in DraftKings. You've got Verdum at 10300 and Miocic uh, checks in at 9100 Now, can you see there being a little bit of a value in Miocic, or, or do you just want to break this fight down? Yeah, I actually think Miocic is a huge value here. And to be honest, I'm a little surprised that Verdum is such a favorite. Um, he obviously looks great in the, you know, in the Cain Velasquez fight. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I don't think anyone picked him. I certainly didn't expect him to win. And, you know, it wasn't even that fight. You know, it lasted until the middle of the third round. But that fight wasn't even close. That was just and, you know, you could say, you know, whatever you want to say about, you know, the fight being in Mexico City and. Kane possibly suffering from the altitude and problem, you know, things like that. But when it comes down to it, Verdum just, you know, absolutely steamrolled him. And it was mm-hmm. it was an unbelievable performance. Um, he's won six fights in a row now. He's won nine of his last ten. And he's always, you know, for, he's always been viewed as one of the, the top heavyweights in the world, which he is. But, he, you know, he's 38 years old now, and mm-hmm. I never really saw him – getting back to the top. Uh, he's been better for the last, I don't know, three or four years, whatever you want to say. He's fair. He's f- fared better than I thought he would because, you know, he's been, for the last, you know, decade plus, he's been facing the best the world's had, the world's had to offer. So, you know, you certainly can't say like some other guys in MMA these days that, you know, he made his name, you know, just beating up nobodies and took advantage of his opportunity. He's been fighting the best in the world for more than a decade and he's been extremely successful. Now, I'm not – and it, this might sound odd considering how good he looks in the Velasquez fight. But I'm still not totally on board with Verdum as a dominant champion. Um, I said this. I don't think you're going to ever see anyone in the heavyweight division run off a streak like, say, Mighty Mouse is doing in the flyweight division right now. I think – the guys are just too big and there are just too many factors that mm-hmm. can result in a, in a fighter losing, whether it be, you know, that one punch knockout power because the fighters are bigger or whether it be, you know, in the, in the Velasquez fight, the instance of Velasquez just gassing out and being tired. I think part of that had to do with the altitude, but I think part of that was just because, you know, these, these are such big guys that things like that can happen more so than they would happen in lower weight classes. And, um, right on, John. I mean, yeah. uh, one thing that you mentioned in your DraftKings preview is that uh, is that anyone in the top five can kind of beat anybody else on a given night. The top five is very kind of stacked together when you look at the, 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 the top talent in the heavyweight division there. And I would have to agree with you. I was a little bit surprised to see Miocic being a plus-130 dog Yet, normally you see those fighters around the 95, 96, even 9,700 salary. I think Miocic actually represents an excellent value 
and a lot of this is uh, is is racking up fantasy points. I mean, Miocic actually averages more fantasy points per game, and that's because of the volume of strikes he throws and the accuracy of strikes that uh, that he lands at. I mean, am I correct in assuming Miocic might have the advantage in the striking game? Oh, I don't. I don't think there's any question about that. Miocic certainly has the advantage in the striking game, and Verdum certainly has the advantage in a ground fight. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, you would say smart, Verdum is smart enough to not turn this into, as I said in my preview article, you know, don't turn this into a 25-minute kickboxing match. If you do that, mm-hmm. Miocic, I would guess, has far better than a 50-50 chance of winning. Now, on the other hand, you know, if Verdum is able to get Miocic to the ground, Verdum, uh, you know, would have a far better than 50-50 chance of winning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Miocic is the better athlete. It, you know, one of the biggest things in the heavyweight division is footwork, simply because all the guys are so powerful that if you stand in front of someone and let a guy tee off on you, you're just not gonna, you're just not gonna survive. And I think the best example of that recently that we've seen is a guy like Bigfoot Silva, who it was, you know, was never a great athlete, but for the longest time did a pretty good job of not letting his opponents just tee off on him. And lately you've seen he stood in front of his opponents and look what happens. He gets knocked out. He gets knocked out every single time he fights. Yeah, exactly. That 13 second knockout uh, from last Sunday. I hear you there. The heavyweight division is not deep and it's very top heavy. Like you said, there's realistically, I think only four, maybe five guys who you can consider, you know, a top guy at this point. And the rest of the guys, you know, from like, Four or five, you know, down to whatever you want to say, 13, 14, 15, the guys are pretty much interchangeable and anyone can beat anyone. But when I was making my pick for this fight, I was really torn. You know, it kind of – if you think that Miocic will be able to keep the fight on the feet and turn it into a kickboxing match, you would pick him. If you think Verdum would be able to get the fight to the ground, you would pick him. But I ended up taking Miocic – a, like you said, because you know I, he's a far better value, and I was really surprised that there was such a big discrepancy in the DraftKings salaries. Once in a while, you get fights like this where you look at the Vegas odds, and the odds of this fight are fairly close. For Doom, last was a last I checked with minus one fifty, mm-hmm. Miocic was a plus one thirty. So while we're for Doom, you know, coming in as champion deserves to be the favorite. That's not a big line either way. That's a close enough line that. If either guy won, you would look at it and say, okay, you know, this is a pretty close fight. So Miocic, I definitely thought, was the better value play. And I was kind of undecided, but his athletic ability, I think he's the better athlete. And I think that mm-hmm. swung me towards his camp for this fight. Yeah, he's someone that can stand there and deliver punishment for five rounds. I mean, cardio is so huge in the heavyweight division. We talked about guys like Cain Velasquez during their run, typically having superior cardio. I think Miocic being possibly a better athlete. Again, it all comes down to keeping it on the feet. Uh, you know, watching film of Miocic, I saw him against a guy like Mark Hunt, who he just stood there and punished for five rounds, and there wasn't much slowing down till the end there. And I just, I, I got to take the better athlete. I mean, I mean, Verdum has. The X factors, of course, he's going to have the home crowd behind him. He's got the experience, but I 100% agree with you, John, in, uh, in that Miocic brings the much better value on DraftKings and definitely gives you some potential to profit there as well. 
Let's move on to the co-main event, though. We have got a middleweight bout here between Jacare Souza and Vitor Belfort. Now, of course, Vitor the Phenom, he's a legend. We've, uh, we know what he's capable of. But I think Souza's a bit more of a well-rounded fighter here. Uh, can, you, can you back me up on that, John? Absolutely, 100% agree. Um, Belfort, you know, since all these athletic commissions, whether it be, you know, Brazil here or whether it be Vegas or, you know, wherever he's fighting, if you look at, if you want to call it, you know, the before and after pictures of the guy, yes. it doesn't look like the same guy. It like mm-hmm. He literally looks like two different people. And the amount of muscle mass, and, you know, he has, you know, he has tested positive before, so... You know, it's not just innuendo and rumors. You know, you, you know this has been documented. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the best example of this is look at the Chris Weidman fight last May. Belfort actually got a good jump on Weidman in that fight. He's oh, yeah. right after the opening bell. He smothered him. He was all over him, and it looked like Weidman was in serious trouble. Vitor just never was able to, in the past, where if he threw a couple of those punches, the guy wouldn't be getting up. You know, in the Weidman fight, Weidman kind of shrugged, shrugged him off, threw him to the ground, and just finished him you know, very quickly. And Jacare, I think, I would put Jacare, uh, you know, a level below Weidman and Luke Rockhold, but I think he's very, very clearly... Um, the third best middleweight in the world. Um, I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that he won, at least in my opinion, he won his fight against Joel Romero that, you know, he didn't get the split decision call. I don't think that was as close as a split, you know, a split decision would lead you to believe. And if he did, if Jacare did get the judge's decision in that fight, he most probably would be fighting for the title now instead of Weidman. Um, I just... Belfort to me looks like a guy who, you know, you don't want to say, you know, you don't want to say a guy is on his last legs, but you know, Belfort's 39 years old and you know, his last, he doesn't, he doesn't have a win since May 2013 over anyone other than Dan Henderson. And I, you know, if you read, you know, the road to wire MMA work on a regular basis, you know, I've been calling for Dan Henderson to retire for, Pretty much since we started covering MMA for the website. Yeah, he's one um, of those guys that maybe milks yeah. it a little bit longer than, it's th- than he needs to be. Though. So yeah. you know, why? Why I? You know, I don't think Belfort is washed up to that level. Um, I I I have a hard time picking him against you know the guys who are very clearly mm-hmm. the cream of the crop in the 185 pound division, and you know I don't think anyone. Would dis, you know? Would argue when you say you know Jack Ray is legitimately one of you know the three best middleweights in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jack Ray kind of holds his own in the stand-up game, but of course, really excels the most when it comes to wrestling and submissions. There, so I think just the more well-rounded fighter is better poised to come up on top in this one. And you look at his last fight against Yoel Romero; he got clocked with the spinning back fist in the very first round, and he was able to survive that and end up taking that fight to three rounds and really pressured Romero a lot. So, I, you know, even though he lost that fight on paper, I'm still not scared away by that and I just think Souza there's so many more ways he can win now one thing I like to look at when kind of uh 
putting together a DraftKings lineup is the odds of the fight to finish, uh, whether or not it will go to a decision. And this is a minus 485 fight to finish. So you definitely want some piece of this fight in your in your DraftKings lineup, regardless of which side you take. If you do, if you're a Belfort believer, it might be an okay tournament play if you cross your fingers and hope for that first round knockout there. I mean, at 8,800, that allows you to do a lot with your lineup. I just don't think it's going to happen. I'm going with Jacare Souza at 10,600 in, in pretty much all of the lineups that I've put together so far. Yeah, I, I would not. I'm, you know, if you're experimenting with different lineups, and you want to, you know, you know, and in one of them or two of them, you want to roll the dice on Belfort. You're pretty much praying for a, you know, a big knockout because with Jacare's grappling and ground game, um, I would be shocked if Belfort was able to, you know, win a decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean. Belfort, some people might think of him as a tournament play, but I really think that with Belfort, even if you do pick him and he does get that knockout, your room for profit might be a little bit minimal because compared to the other guys in his price range, he has by far the most name recognition. So I think his ownership percentage might even be a little bit higher. So even in tournaments, there's not really a, a standout reason for using a guy like Belfort. That's just, I, I yeah, could very mind. easily see this fight going the distance. I really could. Yeah. It, you know, if Jacare isn't able to, you know, to latch on one of his, you know, one of his patented submission holes, and Belfort isn't able to, um, you know, land that big punch, I actually think this fight could be a little awkward. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's what they say. You know, it's what they say about how styles make fights. And you know, Belfort's a striker, and you know, Jacare is a grappler. So it'll be interesting to see how the two styles match up. Yeah, very intriguing fight in the co-main event here. Let's move on to another one of the most highly anticipated fights on this card. We've got the UFC debut of Chris Cyborg Justino. Uh, This one's going to be held at a catchweight of 140 pounds, and it is against Leslie Smith. Now, this is these are Ronda Rousey type favorites when she was at the peak of her run. I mean, Cyborg is uh, last I checked a minus seventeen hundred favorite, and on top of that, the odds of this fight finishing are minus thirteen seventy five. So Vegas is pretty much telling you this is as close to a lock as a first round of for a first round knockout as you can get. And DraftKings responded accordingly with a very hefty $11,600 price tag here. I guess biggest question here is, is it worth paying up for Cyborg? <laughs> you know, uh, I always say when, and I, I said this when in all, in all our preview articles, whenever we would have like a fight with, with Rousey or, you know, when she was such a massive favorite. And that's back when she was finishing people, you know, everybody in under a minute. I would always say that I do everything I can to avoid putting someone with that kind of salary in your lineup mm-hmm. simply because it just it cripples your ability to do anything else. Uh, you know, these all if you look at MMA, obviously anything can happen in any fight. But these people who are massive favorites are you know, are massive favorites for a reason. They usually win. Now, Rousey, this is a bit of a different situation in my mindset because when Rousey was at, you know, was, had those kind of salaries, she still relied on her submission game. You know, her, she still made her, you know, her calling and she made her money by earning submission wins. Cyborg is different in the case that it's all about her power and if, 
whenever I thought it was a decent idea to throw someone in your lineup with that large of a salary, this would be it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cyborg has fought her entire career at featherweight, which is 145 pounds. She's a big featherweight too, right? She's gigantic. She's absolutely gigantic. And as we know, the UFC does not have a 145-pound women's division. So they're going to hold this fight at a catch weight of 140 pounds. And if Cyborg can get through this fight okay, I assume they'll her next fight will be at 135. Now, we still really and I don't I'm not I'm sure she doesn't even know how she would feel at 135 because she's never had to do it before. Quite the cut. Yeah, it's huge. It's it's it's, it's 5 pounds makes such a, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it makes such a gigantic difference. That being said, I would be very surprised if the cut from 145 to 140 made that big of a difference. I think the cut from 140 to 135 could make a a much bigger difference. Mm -hmm. I don't expect the five pounds to make that big of a difference here. And I, I wrote and I agree that I think this was a smart decision by Leslie Smith. It's going to go down as the biggest fight notoriety wise of her career. It is, you know, I, we don't have numbers yet, but um, it will almost certainly go down as the biggest payday of her career. So, it, she, she, and she, look, no, everybody, myself included, and I'm sure you agree, expects her to get obliterated. Mm-hmm. Now, hey, you go out there, you get obliterated, all right, whatever. Everybody thought I was going to lose anyway. Who cares? You know, what difference does it make? Maybe, you know, you have, maybe you pull some crazy upset. No one, Foot Holly Holm had any shot of beating Ronda Rousey, but hey, you take the fight, you lose, you lose, and whatever, you move on. But if, if you watch a couple of Cyborg's last two, two or three Invicta fights, her opponents, and uh, granted, she was facing poor competition. She was. There's no denying that. But she was, she made her opponents look like they, she made them look like amateurs. It looked, you know, like a prof- it looked like a professional boxer versus an amateur boxer. That's really what it looked like. And the odd, you know, the odds of this, I would be very surprised if a cyborg didn't win. And you know, I would be surprised if Leslie Smith got out of the first round. So normally, I don't advocate putting someone in your lineup who has that big of a price tag because it just hampers anything else you can do. But if there was ever a time to do it, I think this is it because I don't think the five pound, the five pound difference is going to, you know, the five pound drop in weight is going to make that big of a difference to cyborg. And Leslie Smith, who has been in MMA for a long time and is extremely, extremely tough, um, is a stand up fighter. That's her style. So, it's not like you have someone who excels and is a grappler and is going to try and change the program. I expect Leslie Smith to just stand in front of Cyborg and hope that she could pull an upset somehow, and I expect her to get knocked out. Yeah, first and foremost, just uh, all the credit in the world of Leslie Smith for even taking this fight in the first place. Of course, you mentioned the opportunity for her career that it has and, of course, the payday. But uh, just big props to her because the style, I just don't see it matching up too much with the same stand-up style 
of Cyborg. And the thing with, uh, with with DraftKings is that first round knockout, I believe it's a 100-point bonus, and that's huge as opposed to winning a fight where it's, I, I believe if you just win a decision, it's like well, 30 or 40 points the there. I think this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, if... If you're put it this way, if you think Cyborg's going to win this fight, which I'm sure most everyone does, you're expecting her to win quickly and violently, and that's mm-hmm. a huge bonus in DraftKings yeah. getting that first round stoppage. Yeah, not putting her in your lineup could end up being very costly because you're missing out on say 115, 120 points if you throw in a, a few striking combinations in there that she gets credit for. So I just think the opportunity cost in this one and just not putting her in there could prove to be very costly and put you just so much farther behind the competition because even at that price tag, I can see Cyborg being very highly owned ownership percentage-wise. And you know if you're, if you're behind 60% of lineups, for example, that, that just puts you in way too tough of a spot. So this is a case where, yeah, you're going to have to pay up for Cyborg and chances are you're probably going to have to go and put someone along the lines of maybe Brian Barberina, Matt Brown, or if you like Vitor Belfort, you're going to have to use one of those heavy underdogs to make up for that cost. So that is definitely something you're going to have to watch out for there. Well, let's go ahead and move on here. We've got a light heavyweight bout coming up next as between Mauricio Shogun Hua and Corey Anderson. Of course, Hua, the native of Brazil, starting to get up there in age arguably kind of I mean not arguably pretty much on the tail end of his career but gets to fight in in his home country against a younger I I don't know if you can call him a prospect anymore he's the number 12 ranked fighter in the division uh Corey Anderson how do you see this fight playing out John uh you know and this is I've said this before I am the the light heavyweight division is arguably uh the worst or I shouldn't say the worst I should say the thinnest division in the UFC. Flyweight's up there, too. Those are probably the two thinnest. And I am not the biggest Corey Anderson fan in the world. Um, he's a good wrestler. He's an above-average athlete. But he is struggling to make strides in the rest of his game. He looks like, If you look at him, he's a big, strong guy. He looks like he should have more power than he does. He he even when, when he wins and he's you know he's won four of his five, five of his six UFC fights. Can't um, ignore that. No, you can't. But you know, outside of his Ultimate Fighter win back in 2014, when he just you know demolished Matt Van Buren, um, his last four wins have all been unanimous decision wins and. To be honest, they've all been pretty boring. It just he he can he can wrestle and he 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 has pro- Anderson has problems finishing his opponents. And you know, I wrote this in in a day and age where the UFC is cutting guys for their conservative style. That's just not good enough anymore. Like I, I mentioned in the preview article, look at a guy like Jared Rosal who was beating most every heavyweight they put in front of him. And the guy got cut because he was just so boring to watch that the fans just had no interest in it. So just because you're winning and beating people nowadays, it's just not good enough anymore. You have to make yourself marketable and you have to make people want to see you. 
Yeah, that style is not really good enough for the fans, maybe, but especially not good for a DraftKings lineup. No. Just got to chime in there because even at 10,200, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's going to win minus 250 favorite. But, you know, he'll get some takedown points, maybe some strikes and and riding out a decision. There's just not a whole lot of room for profit there if you use him in a DraftKings lineup. No, there isn't. And let me also make uh, looking at this from the other side of the coin. There are a handful of fighters who, you know, every time we talk about them on DraftKings, on uh, our Rotowire MMA site, that I mention that I think they're on the verge of retirement or should be retiring. I just mentioned Dan Henderson. That's one. Shogun is another. As far as, obviously, he's had a very, very good, very lengthy, very storied career. But, you know, I'm out as far as, you know, any thinking that there's any future um, potential here. And the scary part is it's not like a case of Henderson who, you know, is in his mid-40s. Shogun's only 34. So, you know, there are plenty of guys in the UFC at age 34 who, you know, are still going reasonably well. But, um, you know, Shogun has made his whole career, um, you know, he's he's topped, he's made his career um, earning stoppage wins on the feet. You know, he's never been much of a submission guy, even though he has submission skills. So the, that makes it even more concerning to me that a guy, and Henderson is in the same boat, guys who have relied on their stand-up game and their knockout power, that is, I, I believe, as you get older, along with obvious stuff such as, you know, your reflexes and your speed and your quickness, I think that, I think your power is one of the first things to slowly go. And, you know, obviously in every DraftKing lineup you put together, you know, you're going to have to take, uh, you know, an underdog here, an underdog there. But uh, Shogun is not the one I would take here. I wouldn't use either of these guys. Like you said, Shogun, because I don't think he's going to win. And Anderson, because even though he will probably win, it's going to be, uh, it's probably going to be a dull decision win, and that's not what you're looking for. Yeah, I mean Vegas supports you in that assessment, and I alluded to this earlier. But a big thing when putting together DraftKings lineups is looking at the prop bet for odds to finish. This one's actually a plus one thirty-five, so Vegas is confident enough that they're going to give it, you know, favorable odds for for it to finish. They're pretty much. Not guaranteed, but as close as it gets to saying that it'll be a decision. And again, there's very little room for profit from that in a uh, DraftKings lineup. So when I did my notes prepping for this show, I I just have in big letters, fight to avoid here on DraftKings. And I think we can both agree on that. Well, let's move on to the final fight of the pay-per-view card here. It's a pretty intriguing matchup, one that got moved up to the pay-per-view portion of the card after the fight between Anderson Silva and Uriah Hall had to be uh, scrapped because Silva probably going to have to undergo gallbladder surgery. can read up more on that at rotowire.com. But what I'm talking about here is a somewhat intriguing matchup between Warley Alves at 10,800 and Brian Barberina at 8,600. Now, Barberina gets a lot of, I mean, he's getting this spot on the card because he was able to get Super Sage and Northcut to tap. You know, that pretty much punched his ticket to a little bit more notoriety. I don't want to say that win was a fluke, but if, you know, what I read about that was true, uh, Sage Northcutt was dealing with uh, a pretty rough illness at the time. So you stack him up against a very, I mean, for as young as he is, I think he's very competitive complete for as young as he is in Warley Alves, uh, and the prices show that Alves is a 600 favorite here. How do you see this fight breaking down, John? No, you, I think, I think as I wrote in the article, 
that at this point in their careers, Worley Alves is 25. I think Sage Northcutt, he might be 20 now. He's either 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can easily make an argument that at this point in their respective careers that Worley Alves is further along than Sage Northcutt. Oh, easily. As far as just having experience in an all-around game. You know, Northcutt is obviously an insane athlete and very explosive. But as we saw in the Barbarina fight, he he was he's get, he's getting by at this point on that athleticism. He you know, he's just he was just a you know, he's just more athletic than most guys he faces. And Alves is 4-0 in the UFC. His last three fights all were against Alan Joban, Nordin Taleb, and Colby Covington. All three, you know, while they're not certainly not title contenders, all three of those guys represent, you know, fairly decent competition. You know, there are no scrubs on that list. And Alves's submission game is just—it's just off the charts. He loves that guillotine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he the and the Covington fight. Covington's really good. Um, if I'm not mistaken, both guys, obviously Alves did, he still is. But I believe both Covington and Alves entered that fight undefeated, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and Alves quickly finished that fight. Yeah, um, that was a first-rounder. Yeah. And Barbarina, let's face it, before the Northcutt fight was pretty much, I guess you'd have to call him, I don't want to call it, say he was a non-prospect, but... What would you say? Like a middling prospect at best. You know, nothing was... Roster depth at that point. I mean, they didn't have him in high-profile fights or anything. Very few, very little film on him before the Northcutt fight. Right. I mean, he fought... uh, Parbarina fought Joe Ellenberger in his UFC debut. Mm -hmm. He won a unanimous... Yeah, he fought pretty well in that. And then he went... But then he went and he fought Chad Laprise and he dropped the unanimous decision that was a little bit back and forth. But, you know, this is... Put it this way, uh, you know, Alves is, you know, a clear favorite here and easily my pick to win. Mm-hmm. But you have to, when you have a win that was important as Barbarina's win over Northcutt was, you force people to, you know, kind of take a look and think twice. Uh, let's, I mean, let's face it, Barbarina now is on the main card of a pay-per-view mm-hmm. because he won the Northcutt fight. Yeah, he, he loses that fight. He, I don't want to say he's definitely being released, but you know he's all of a sudden look, looking at a fight that he's going to have to win to keep his job. Yeah, he's on a he's on the fight pass card, maybe or yeah. definitely not a pay per view. Yeah. Now all of a sudden he not only does he get you know a talented opponent, he it took an injury to get there to um, you know Anderson Silva, like you said, but all now he's on the main card of a pay per view. So you know this is another instance of where I think this is I think this is a smart decision by Barbarina. Certainly, it, the odds in this fight aren't stacked as as much against Barbarina as they are, you know, against say Leslie Smith. But um, not many people are picking him to win. And after the performance against Rock uh, against um, Northcutt, excuse me, you know, you have to take notice. Put it, uh, you know, I certainly am not picking Barbarina to win, but he he showed enough in the Northcutt fight that. You have to keep an eye on him moving forward, which is, you know, far better, which is more than he realistically could have asked for, you know, 12 or 13 months ago. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree. I mean, I'll put you on the spot here. We, we both called Cyborg as the biggest lock on the card. 
Would you say Alves is the second biggest lock on the card, or is there a little bit more room for uh, interpretation there? I would, you know, I think it's pretty... I would lock. Well, I don't know. Lock. It's such a hard term. Yeah, in MMA. It, it's hardly existent in MMA. You know, you got underdogs winning forty yeah. percent of the time. I, yeah, you know what? I probably, I probably would. I think Anderson is up there simply because I, I have no confidence in Shogun's abilities anymore. Mm-hmm. So, but then again, you're looking, you're looking on the other, you know, on the looking at it the other way. Alves is far more likely to get a finish than Anderson is, which immediately, you know, for the six hundred dollars difference, Alves's salary is ten thousand eight hundred, Anderson's salary is ten thousand two hundred. Alves is such a you know a more so more likely to get a finish that if you know you're constructing your lineup for you know the six hundred dollar difference, which isn't all that much, it's worth it to take you know to take Alves, the guy who's far more likely to get the stoppage. Yeah, I would have to say that, that yeah, I'm going to go along with that same strategy. And if you're going to be one of those contrarians and not use Cyborg, then you probably want to get Alves in there just to lock up that first round. Uh, hopeful for a first round knockout or a submission. I would say that uh, that Alves gets it done in the first, maybe the second. I'm, I'm going to call it by guillotine his favorite there. That's just, I guess, what I like to see here. But, uh, okay, so there's the five fights on the pay-per-view. We've got another eight or I'm sorry, another seven bouts here on the prelims between the Fox Sports 1 prelims and the Fight Pass prelims. We're not going to go fight by fight here, but out of all of those seven bouts here, is there a particular one that intrigues you the most, John? You know, there is, and I really, um, and I can't, I'm uh, very surprised this fight's not getting talked about more. I'm all over this John Lineker, Rob Font fight. This is really, really good. Because it's just two guys who represent um, two different styles in the sense that Lineker is based on – Lineker's game, as we know, is based on power. Um, his nickname's Hands of Stone. You better, your game better be based on power. Um, he's, had, as, he's had problems making weight. Um, but, he was in the flyaway, right? This will be his second fight yes, at weight, if yes, I'm correct? yes. And he's, I, I mean, he's won seven of his last eight fights, and he's beaten some decent guys. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, but I, I, I like Font, and Font is another guy who, when he entered the company, was viewed as, you know, you don't want, you don't want to say that a guy's a non-prospect because the UFC is holds so many events these days that there are go- we're going to start to see more and more of these guys who enter the company with little guys who we have little or no information on. And all of a sudden you look at the guy's fight and you're like, Oh wow, that guy's a lot better than I thought he was. And Font's a good example. He's had two fights um, in the UFC for George Roop in his first fight, who George Roop's been around a long time. Tough guy fought a lot of good fighters. Font finished him in the first round and then he fought Joey Gomez and um, you know, he finished him in the second round. So, while he has never faced a, a fighter of Lineker's caliber, there aren't too many fights on this card where I'm picking the underdog um, to win. I think of all the fights, the only underdogs I picked were, I believe I picked Font and Miocic were the only two underdogs I picked. 
So obviously there are some value plays that are better than others. Mm-hmm. But I like Font. I like Font here. Certainly, you know, it's a close fight that would I be surprised if Lineker won? Absolutely not. Two good fighters. And Lineker has the advantage of, you know, fighting in his native Brazil. And I actually, some people more than other, you know, more so than others think that makes a difference. I think it makes a difference when you have a guy who has to travel to, you know, a strange place. Like, you know, I'm fine. I'm, I doubt he spent much of his life in Brazil. So when you have a guy who gets to train at home against a guy who, you know, has to travel to get there, I think that does make a difference. So that's a point, you know, in Lineker's favor. But, you know, Font's a real good athlete, and um, he has more power than he gets credit for. So, you know, in every card you put together, like we said before, you're going to have to take an underdog. And I like Font as a good underdog play. And um, not only that, I it's one of the it's one of the fights I'm looking forward to the most. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by this fight. Just watching the little bit of uh, of Rob Font that I have, I really like his knockout power. Now, Font's a plus one thirty favorite. Lineker, or I'm sorry, plus one thirty underdog. Lineker, a minus one fifty favorite. Yet the two are the exact same price on DraftKings at at ninety seven hundred. So that complicates things a little bit. I was originally leaning Lineker, but then as I got back to it, I think I'm jumping on board with you, John, and, and going with Font just because I, I mean I'm chasing that that knockout, that early knockout. And with, uh, you know, Lineker moving up to bantamweight for a second fight, Rob Font has a five inch height advantage and a four inch reach advantage. So I think he'll be able to keep this fight as a distance, uh, in watching the little film. I I liked the lateral movement of Font to be able to avoid some of the big shots. So I just think Font seems more poised to win this and could end up being a decent value for 9,700 on DraftKings. Now, yeah. And, and, uh, and excuse me, but until tomorrow, we're not going to have any idea what kind of shape John Lineker is in. You know, we've seen him. We've seen him struggle to make the flyweight limit. He should be much better. You you would assume at, at you know in, at the bantamweight with the ten extra pounds that he would get. But you know, when a guy that this is the problem with missing weight in this sport in the past, you're never going to get the benefit of the doubt. So from here until eternity, you know, you're going to – until John Lineker steps on the scale the day before every fight he has, people are going to want to know what's going on. Yeah, so yeah, right on. Absolutely. I can see where you're coming from with the, with the weight being a struggle there. So uh, looking forward to this fight as well. Now out of these seven undercard bouts here, we mentioned um, that you're going to have to pick some underdogs on DraftKings. Now, are there any upset picks in the prelims, or you can even go to the main card if you want, but uh, say you got to pick a value play outside of Stipe Miocic, who we both like at 9,100. Is there any other value play or a fighter that should be on upset alert that you should be uh, watching out for? Well, you know, it's... uh, To answer it a different way, I'll give you a couple couple underdogs that I definitely would not in any circumstance stake. Okay. Um, I would not take Nate Marquardt. Um, you know, he won his last fight, but I think he's right there in, you know, the Shogun Henderson camp of guys who are pretty much just about at the end of the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would not take him. As we mentioned before, I would not take Shogun 
it just seems like a really bad matchup for him. And, um, you know, I would, I would not take um, Nogueira against Patrick Cummins either. Yeah, I know you, from reading your stuff and your previews, I know you're a pretty big fan of Cummins, at least more so than most. You like his wrestling game that much, or is it more of a case of Noguera being kind of washed up? Both. You know, I think it's both. Cummins is... Cummins' problem is that he's struggled with just... he, he He's shown... It's strange, because he's shown an ability... To take a beating, if you look, if you ever look at the guy's fights, even when he wins, his face looks terrible. You know what I mean? He always looks like he's been in a huge fight. But then you get fights like the Oven St. Proof fight, which is which was in Newark, and I was there. Cummins dominated. The fight only lasted around. Cummins was all over St. Proof for that entire first round. I mean, it, you know, it, and then St. Prue caught him with the short uppercut with something like 10 seconds left in the first round and Cummins was out cold and it was over. So, you know, Cummins three UFC losses were to Daniel Cormier in, you know, that infamous fight he took on short notice where they yanked him from, you know, the Starbucks and a week later he was in the UFC, <laughs> the OSP fight that I just mentioned and his last fight to Glover to share. So when you look at Cummins three UFC losses, it's, the current um, champion in Cormier, a guy in O, and then two guys in OSP and Glover who both have challenged for the title. So his losses have been against quality, quality competition. And as good as, you know, Noguera is, another guy on the downside of his career. I mean, Big Nog has retired, I believe. So this is Lil Nog's first camp without his brother, too. That's something that I read today that I just found a little bit interesting. I am right with you. I like Cummins in this one. But the thing is with Cummins at 9,800, it's not a big enough underdog for me to necessarily... uh, I mean, it doesn't save you enough money to free up some other stuff. Now, I did find a way to get him in one lineup, so I, I can very much see the viability of using them. But if you want to get someone like Cyborg in your lineup, you almost got to pick someone 9,000 or under. And the one fighter that I picked to make this work, you can call me crazy, but I went with Matt Brown, who is going up against Damian Maya. This is another one where Maya is going to be in his home country, and he has a clear submission and jiu-jitsu advantage. But I think Matt Brown has a fighting chance. I mean, he's going to bring a lot of heart. He's good enough in the clinch he has a three inch reach advantage he's not going to stop he's good that motor is going to go and we saw matt brown get his submission defense tested a little bit in a match uh it was a while back now but against eric silva who had his back for a decent part of the fight but was not able to finish it now matt brown at 8900 opens a lot of things up here i really like damian maya i mean i like what he can do uh the submission game is elite there's no question about that but if you have to pick someone under 900 am i too crazy to think that matt brown's got a shot you know you're not in the sense that I'm worried about this. I, I wrote this in the article. Mm-hmm. This is almost, to me, at least identical, or at least break down. If you want to break it down, to last week's Gunnar Nelson Albert Tumanol fight. Maya is just like Nelson in the sense that you know all his you know his best work is on the ground, and Brown is just like Tumanov in the sense that he makes his entire you know his living is made off his striking. You know, Tumanov has more power. Brown is more aggressive. But they have similar styles, and 
this is one of those hypotheticals where if Brown is able to keep the fight on the feet, all of a sudden you have, you know, he has a halfway decent chance of winning. The thing that worries me about Brown is I read a quote today that I believe Brown said, this fight is the worst, something to the extent of this fight is the worst possible matchup for me. That's why I took it. That worries me a little. You know, guys say a lot of stuff during fight week, so you can't put a ton of stock in it. But, you know, if you're trying to make a lineup work, I don't think Brown is a bad play at all. If you're really shorthanded and you're trying to make a lineup work, I don't think Belfort is the worst play in the world. I would certainly put guys like Brown and Belfort in my lineup before I would put a guy like Mark Hort or a guy like Shogun in my lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. So there you have it. There's a couple of upset options if you're looking to try to make those lineups work. Uh, well, that'll do it for uh, the first ever edition, uh, official edition here of the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. It's been a blast with you, John. Just want to quick remind our listeners uh, to follow you, John, on Twitter at J-O-N-Litterine. You can follow me at jakeski52 if you want to go ahead and read john's DraftKings preview that's up on rotowire you can view the rest of our mma content on rotowire if you give us a quick try at rotowire.com slash pod that's rotowire.com slash pod well hey thanks again for uh joining us today john and we'll be back for the next pay-per-view a lot of fun thanks a lot talk to you soon so you own your own business got small ambitions for this business of course you don't Got medium ambitions for this business? Of course you don't. Who has medium ambitions? You got big ambitions. If you're a growing business with big ambitions, you want to grow with Granger. Granger has the products, the services, and more importantly, the commitment you need. Total commitment. If you're a growing business, Granger's got your back. Call clickgranger.com or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.